0: Odds from the far beyond. This is one of a series of podcasts by Palden Jenkins, coming to you from a farm in West Penwith, Cornwall, in the far southwest of Britain. And Penwith means far beyond, and it is. Throughout my life I've done a lot of thinking about the collective unconscious. It's partially because it's been quite a personal matter for me. I'm kind of quite tuned into it and always have been, but also I've been quite subject to it in as much as during my adult life where I have in a way been a dissident who sees things in a very different way than there's been the full weight of conventional belief going against that. But this has been a sort of an interesting inner struggle which started resolving itself in my 40s and 50s really. And it's been partially to do with the question of what is going to bring about a change in the world. And this has been a very pertinent question for me because however naive history might judge it to have been, I was part of the whole flower power and student revolutionary movement of the 1960s. I was still a late teenager, but uh, I was in it, and it it really introduced uh, a lot of new ideas and perspectives which hadn't been there before, or it was time for them to come out. And in a way, they represented something of a quantum leap in beliefs and our our cosmology and for people like me who got involved in the alternative world and um, dropped out rather than working inside the system it became a bit like a failed revolution and so it's been a big quest for me to to understand this and to to try and figure out whether it really is possible to change the world whether the world actually will change sufficiently and how it would come about because during recent decades the blockers have been up. There have been so many opportunities for the world to move forward, to make positive choices, to start changing the pattern and this has happened to some degree but not sufficiently to really start addressing the world problem in a way that really does justice to it and to human need and ecological need and the whole question of civilization on Earth. What is its purpose? While looking at all this, I've also been looking at conventional beliefs and what's going on underneath. And This difference, this is what we could call the collective unconscious, what's going on underneath. This difference is something which is adopted as we become more civilized. It's a deep historic process which has brought this about since the beginning of human history. But it particularly went through big changes when we humans started moving into towns and cities and creating much more of our own self-created, self-defined culture compared to one which is largely determined by ecological factors by you could call them limiting factors ecological factors in a way becoming civilized involves adopting someone's rules and playing a certain game and of course it depends very much on what that game is and how those rules are and how they actually really affect society And we have a a historic habit in the world of pretty bad power arrangements and a lot of tragedy and a lot of loss and pain and difficulty. But also a lot of inventiveness and cultural development and amazing people who have lived throughout history and who have disappeared from the annals but they nevertheless have contributed to the making of humanity. They've made their, made their contribution. And so the interesting thing here is that getting involved in urban advanced civilization involves this adoption of, of rules and of beliefs, ways of seeing things, and this involves setting aside certain things. One of the most tricky aspects of all this is that there comes to be a conflict between what people adopt as beliefs and real life experience. And we see this so much in modern society today. There is what we can call cognitive dissonance that is built into our society, into our culture. It's something where we have become accustomed to living in a world of contradictions where things don't really make sense and where in order to survive and thrive in that world, we have to set aside many of the most important things in our lives and join in with something which hopefully is acceptable to join in with. Hopefully it is a manageable compromise that we have, but sadly the evidence is not totally this way and there is a lot of suffering that is brought about by the nature of civilization, by its rather ruthless, uncaring, insensitive violence and force and impersonality which can dominate the fundamental rules by which society works but this whole question of beliefs for example i would say that although war still exists in the world today we still have nuclear weapons we still allow military interests to talk up the matter of war to to create whole mass psychoses you know at the moment we talk about a new cold war although it's difficult to tell whether it's the west against russia which is the old one or whether it's the west against china so choose your enemy or there are other people like iran and north korea that come into it as bogey people but this kind of thing goes on and is kind of grudgingly accepted by society but i think if you did a true poll of humanity and i mean all of humanity I would think a majority of people would not really be interested in war, or particularly, on a personal level, sending members of their family to war, on the whole, with exceptions. Because war is a product of trauma. Conflicts come about because of collective pain, which sometimes has been gathered over many, many centuries. So we can have these dissonances where... The majority of people might not really subscribe to the idea of war, but on top, in terms of the official ideology to which they must subscribe in order to succeed in society, according to that, uh, they have to accept war as an inevitable thing which will go on forever. So there is this conflict between the two. And the interesting thing here is that this gets tested occasionally in moments of intensity that arise, and in situations which are nowadays fully covered by mass media. Social media, too. This is a new dimension of coverage where we see so much of the abuse and the violence at first hand. And what's happening here is that these events come up which have symbolically really deeply poignant meaning and context, and it awakens feelings in people far far away and so for example we have revolutions that go on uprisings such as in Myanmar and in Belarus and other times which we have seen in so many different different countries and there are uprisings which are trying to come about but don't seem to be succeeding as well which can really be tragic and they awaken a feeling in people of involvement engagement emotional connection with these people even though they have nothing to do with them personally and the issue here is that it awakens archetypes it awakens imagery within the collective unconscious which says something to other people for example young students who are rebelling against governments in their countries they in some ways embody something that is restless and dissatisfied and in conflict within ourselves right across society. To some extent, they are doing these things on behalf of the rest of humanity. This brings up some quite big things about the collective unconscious, about how sometimes particular events can have an enormous impact. Remember, for example, during 1989 in China, there was that scene of a chap dressed up in work clothes with his brolly and his briefcase who stands in front of a line of tanks and just faces them down. Symbolically really powerful stuff about man against the machine. We see pictures of refugee babies getting washed up dead on Greek shores, which really touch something in the collective unconscious. It gets the collective emotion moving. And this is where the real action really happens when it comes down to it. We've seen an example of this during the COVID period in the last two years where there's been actually an enormous shift of values towards much more caring, much more profound social interaction, much more interrelatedness, kindness, thoughtfulness redesigning things for humans, caring for the underdogs and the people who need care and inclusion. It brings up questions of families and communities. And this will pass, but something has moved underneath. There's been a shift of values. Something has tilted somewhat. And it's going to be different from now on regarding this. That there's something where humanity as a whole seems to have got rather fed up with living according to the rules of the mega machine and it's pushing back. And of course we have big issues of social control, social freedom, which are hanging around. Everything from authoritarian governments to Silicon Valley corporations and lawmakers and, on the other side, libertarians and rebels and all sorts of people. Questions of social diversity. How do you control society in an increasingly diverse world? So it's all very, very complicated and it's the issues that go on underneath which are really crucial here because this, in the end, is what will change the world. It will be swings like this, deep down underneath, swings of values and held perceptions and of consensual agreements where it can quite suddenly shift, as we have seen during the COVID period regarding this matter of being human. But there are also countervailing forces and what often happens in these kinds of periods such as the mid-1960s or 1989, 90 ish or 2012-ish is that there are people who set themselves against change. Authorities and vested interests. Some people give a lot of weight to um, hidden forces as well, to background interest. There's some truth in that. And to some extent, it's also a psychological endemic situation in humanity because we are such a broken race. We are so traumatized in a way. We are so set against one another. And we're not doing too well on our human relations at the moment. We could do a lot better. The population problem is not really about the numbers of people. It's about the way that we live on Earth. And this is very much under test at the moment. So these conflicts between the collective unconscious and the official line, the way that things ought to be if we want to have a big civilization, is a very critical one in the current time, and the coming time. What is society here for? What is civilization? What is the economy? What is technology? What are they actually achieving? What is the value of them? What do we gain from these? What is the price? What is the balance? Things are rather frenzied nowadays, almost as if it's a kind of an escape, not giving ourselves enough time to think. And yet when COVID came along, it was a great blessing in as much as it forced a lot of people to think. It forced people to give more space to what was going on underneath. And the disruption of regularity, the, the insecurity that came up from that, caused people to see things from another viewpoint. And it wasn't just the people who are suffering through this, the poor, those who are not looked after in society. It was also those who are more privileged, who suddenly realise, what is this life which we have? Do I really need to put on makeup every day? Do I really need to go to a restaurant four times a week? Do I really need to just put my kids in front of the TV or shove my grandparents away in a home? There's been quite a shift and this is going to unfold in the future. It's not a total shift because there are opposing forces. There are economic interests who are still motivated to make profit. And this is one of the key issues that's coming up in the current decades. What is the economic system really here for? Is it for certain interests to generate profit, or is it for social and global and ecological benefit? And if so, how do we orientate things so that it really works that way? Because at the moment there is a conflict going on between official policy and a more profound perception of what really is needed in order to deal with biodiversity, climate, social ills, injustices, geopolitical problems, existential risks. We're coming into a phase where we really do need to look at what the fundamental tenets of civilization are. What is it for really? Who does it serve? Are we here to serve the mega machine or is the mega machine here to serve us? And if so how should it be designed big questions and what happens underneath is that in order to resolve many of these questions something's got to shift in the collective unconscious ultimately globally but it does have a way of operating quite virally one little item of hope that i'll leave you with is this that because we are quite heavily defended psychologically in order to live in modern civilization be educated and play the game we're very well defended and so we need rocking sometimes by the poignancy and the force of events and this has been happening with ever increasing intensity in recent decades and we're coming to a sort of a cacophony or a an avalanche or a breakthrough of events multiple events possibly taking place at the same time, which break our fundamental capacity to stay defended in the way that we were, because it's just not viable anymore, because it'll involve resorting to war, or to things like mass death, great hardship, or to all sorts of um, human cruelties and heartless aspects, which people perhaps are now growing more tired of there's something here where people really do want to live in a more human society something's pulling that way this is what lies behind not just the revolutions which are going on in many different countries nowadays but it also goes on through quiet shifts in families and communities and across the world so this conflict between the official line the beliefs that are held and subscribed to by so many people and the collective unconscious that part of human awareness which kind of knows things on a deeper level it intuits things it senses things it perceives things in a different kind of way and that kind of conflict is coming up for a big sort out in the coming decades But where humanity really is at. But things can start changing very fast because when the collective unconscious does come up, it can't always be suppressed. We've seen the Arab revolutions. We've seen so many different instances where there has been suppression, or at least partial suppression. But something is going to break at some point, and the best of authoritarians will not be able to maintain their legitimacy. But this is a psychological thing too, a psychological thing within all people. How much do we subscribe to fear and where is the point where we step over our fear and start moving forward? been listening to a podcast from the far beyond with palden jenkins if you want to know more about me then go to my website at palden.co.uk and the music came from bensound.com for which many thanks thanks for being with there's more to come